Thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, as Joe said, my name's Jack. Um, I've been at ENC for four years, and I was originally here as a student, and I've sort of stuck around to do lots of different bits, like youth and student work. Um, but if we haven't met before, please do come and chat to me, as I'd love to get to know you afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's my privilege to be able to share what I feel God has put on my heart as I've been preparing and reading over this passage. Um, but if I'm being honest, the first time I read this passage, I wasn't really that excited. Um, you know, it just felt kind of like nothing really jumped out of me. And, and I don't know if you've ever got that feeling before, you know, you've read the Bible and it kind of just doesn't really feel like it's saying anything to you or like you can infer what God's speaking you through that. Um, and with that in mind, I just found myself as I was reading the passage over and over again and preparing for this, that I found myself so grateful for verse 7. You know, what does Paul say? He says, reflect and the Lord will give you insight into all this. Um, and, you know, as I, as I read and reflected on what the passage said and prayed for wisdom, I just really found myself that God was speaking to me. And, you know, that shouldn't surprise us really, should it? That if we read the Bible and we pray for wisdom, um, you know, we expect God to speak to us. But I don't know about you, but the amount of times that I read a part of the Bible and maybe it doesn't really feel like it's speaking to me or maybe it just doesn't really quite make sense and I just find myself moving on without even really thinking about it. You know, I don't know if anyone relates to that, but I certainly do that. Um, and the thing is, that's not the kind of approach to reading the Bible that Paul is sort of commanding Timothy to do here. You know, he says, reflect on all that I'm saying and God will give you insight. And my feeling is that today, you know, we could easily glance over this passage without really seeing the gold that's within it. Um, and so my invitation really for you all is whatever your initial judgments were of this passage, or maybe wherever you're at personally with reading the Bible, you know, perhaps you're really enjoying it and finding it fruitful. Perhaps you're finding it really difficult. Um, my invitation is just to lay that all down and use that seventh verse, you know, that opportunity to reflect and ask God for insight, to use that kind of as like the lens through which we go through this sermon. And my prayer is that, you know, um, God will see our hunger for his insight and us wanting to reflect and yearn for deeper insight. Um, and he will really meet us in that hunger. Um, so does that sound good? Um, great. I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll just get stuck into the passage. Um, so, God, we do just praise you for the richness of your word. And, Lord, we lay down whatever reservations or thoughts towards your word we have. And, God, we just pray that you would speak to us. Lord, help us to reflect and help us hear your wisdom that we may apply it to, your, to our lives. Amen. Okay, so, yeah, please do keep your Bibles in front of you, as I'm going to refer to it quite a bit. Um, now, oh wow, um, uh, <laughs> there are a few different themes across this passage, but I really feel as though uh, they're all kind of unified to the fact that Paul is rallying Timothy to live with greater devotion towards God. And when I say across this sermon that, about Paul and Timothy, you know, I want us to know that the same calling is being applied to us. So Paul is calling us to live with greater devotion to Christ. And that is a key thing in this. Paul is calling us to live with greater wholehearted devotion to Christ. But an additional part of this is that 
um, as we reflect on the kind of committed friendship that Paul and Timothy would have had, we're going to realize how um, actually living in committed friendships with our sisters and brothers in Christ, you know, they help us to point each other more towards God. So if I say that again, there's an element to, if we're devoted in loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we actually help each other um, point towards Christ. So these are the two key things I want us to be reflecting on as we go through this talk. That's the fact that Paul calls us to wholehearted devotion to God and that it's within our committed friendships that um, we help one another be more devoted towards God. But let's jump straight into the passage. Um, And we see in verse 1 immediately, Paul is calling Timothy to be strong. You know, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And immediately we see, you know, Paul addresses Timothy with quite intimate language. You know, he says, My son. You know, and I know John and Bob, if you've been here for the last two weeks, they've both given a lot of context to Paul and Timothy's friendship. Um, But if you've not been around for that, I'll just give a couple refreshers. Um, We know that Timothy joined Paul on a number of his mission trips. So they traveled around together, and it appears that they built up quite a mentor-mentee kind of relationship. And it's clear that Paul deeply trusted him. You know, in regards to Timothy in Philippians 2, Paul writes how I have no one else like him. Um, And he goes on to say, as a son with his father... Timothy has served with me in the working of the gospel. So again, there's that father-son language that clearly Paul really trusted Timothy in their work together. And we also know that this is Paul's final letter before he dies. And we're reminded that in verse 3, he says, join with me in suffering. You know, he's, um, we see in that context that Paul is, you know, on the verge of death here. Um, that again, there's, there's a sense of how much he loves and values Timothy that he would take the last chance, effectively, to write to anyone, um, to use that as an opportunity to write to Timothy and encourage him to stand firm, which, again, is really interesting when we remember that it's Paul who is on the verge of death here, and he is writing to someone else to stand firm. Um, And so what we see is really this letter to 2 Timothy is like Paul giving his protege Um, all of his final, like, exhortations and encouragements. Um, And I think that's why this passage, and really a lot of 2 Timothy reads quite scattered. You know, it's kind of like Paul is condensing everything he's taught Timothy um, into this one letter. Uh, You know, it really reminds you of that moment. Um, You may relate to this, where um, you're going off to university for the first time, um, and either you may relate to the parent or the child in this context, um, and the parents leaving the child, and they're taking them on like a food shop, you know, just before the parent leaves, and they're kind of going around the big supermarket, and the parents like, oh, you'll need that, or oh yeah, that stir fry sauce, you'll need this, or the packet of rice, you know, you'll need this, um, and I think there's an element here that Paul is like the parent, uh, reminding Timothy of like all the little things that immediately come to his mind, like oh no, you need to remember to do this, or you know, you remember to be strong in this. Um, And the reason he does this is because he wants to almost commission and send off Timothy um, in the right way in like this new new period of time where Paul isn't around. And that's a really essential thing to grasp here 
is that, you know, Paul doesn't want Timothy to sort of like drop off in devotion uh, once Paul dies. Um, And instead, he actually wants Timothy to almost like continue carrying the gospel torch that he's been carrying. Um, And to do that by teaching other people exactly what Paul's taught him. And we saw that in verse 2, didn't we? He says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So it's quite a mouthful. Um, But it's like the things you've heard me said, you know, it's like everything. You know, Paul is saying, if you remember Bob last week, he said, like, remember your training, Timothy. He's like saying everything I've taught you, whether it's just as we've been walking around or as I've been preaching at the front of a church we visited, you know, remember all of that and now teach it to others that they may also be qualified to teach. You know, there's a sense of a multiplication to that, isn't there? That the one person, Timothy, has been entrusted with Paul's teaching. And now Paul says, you know, take that teaching and teach it to others that they may also be able to teach. And I think there's something really rich about that word in trust as well. You know, it's as though, like, Paul isn't saying to Timothy, just pass on what I've taught you to someone and leave that with them to kind of work out what to do. You know, it, it, to me, it kind of feels like he's saying to Timothy, like, essentially replicate what we've done together. You know, we've traveled around together. We've built each other up and we've challenged one another. Now do that with other people. Because, you know, we have to remember the context in which we're reading this letter, which is deeply personal uh, between these two people. Um, and my reflection of this is that, you know, I really think Paul is trying to uh, remind Timothy of the responsibility that comes with sharing God's word. You know, it's almost like he's saying you have to teach them in a way that ensures they remain committed to Christ. Like their commitment to Christ is at stake by the way that you teach them. Um, and, you know, the reason why we might do it in this sort of long-winded way of walking with people, you know, building them up rather than just giving them the teaching and letting them do it for themselves. I think it's because of that word reliable in verse 2. So, you know, Paul says, make reliable teachers. Um, You know, it's almost like by the way that you teach, they become reliable. Again, it's that word in trust. Like, it's not something I feel to be elitist about, where we're only teaching the people who are the most, uh, you know, maybe the best communicators or are the most knowledgeable you know, again, it says in trust. It's like make those people reliable teachers, you know, by the way that you teach them. And so perhaps if we zoom out of the context of Paul and Timothy for a moment, you know, I want to almost raise the question to us as individuals or as a church, you know, do we actually recognize this responsibility that comes with teaching God's word? You know, do we do, we do it to one another in a way that really builds people up? and helps them to be more devoted to God. Um, and you may want to reflect, really, on who are your brothers and sisters in Christ that you would model this kind of faith to. You know, do you have people around you who can challenge and speak into your life in this way? Um, in a moment, we're going to look at the sort of second half of the passage, which goes into greater detail about how we actually apply this to our lives. Um, but for now, I just want to spend a couple minutes going a bit deeper into Timothy as a person. Because I don't know about you, but before we did this series at church, I didn't really know much about Timothy. You know, he's not exactly an Abraham or Moses figure that you may just know about through instinct, Sunday school knowledge or something. Um, 
Um, because I wanted to know a bit more about him, you know, I used that approach of verse 7. I reflected and asked God for insight about him. And what I did is I, I read across the letters where Timothy is mentioned. And what I found was that um, as you're reading about him, you do get the feeling that Timothy was quite a timid character. Um, and this is a thing that is known. So Bob mentioned this last week, that uh, Timothy was thought to be quite a timid person. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, for example, Paul urges the Corinthian church to welcome Timothy in a way that ensures he has nothing to fear. You know, he says, put him at ease when he arrives. It's almost like Paul knew that Timothy would be a bit anxious about something and wanted to make sure that he was okay. And suddenly, it began to make a lot of sense to me, really, why Paul encourages Timothy so much about being strong. You know, we saw in verse 1, he says, be strong in grace. Verses 3 and 4 about being a soldier. You know, last week we had that amazing verse in chapter 1 where Paul says, we don't have a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Again, he's repeating so much about timidity and strength to, to Timothy. Um, and I feel like perhaps because Paul knew Timothy so well, you know, it gave him the authority to be able to speak into Timothy's life and challenge him on it. You know, he knew what Timothy found most difficult and needed to grow in. And so here he is, he's written all about it in his final letter to him. And I know that, you know, probably anyone would feel a bit timid in comparison to Paul. But let's be honest, you know, I think for all of us, we have our times where we just feel a bit timid or timid. Um, or maybe we feel slightly ill-equipped to serve God in the way he calls us to. But the thing that's really encouraging for us is that if we look a bit deeper into who Timothy was, you know, we see that two quite remarkable things happened to him after Paul writes this letter to him. And in my opinion, these two events really highlight that for Timothy, you know, he didn't let this timid character that he became known for um, become a barrier for him in his service to Christ. So there are two events. Uh, the first is that Timothy served as the first bishop of Ephesus. So in reality, history dates this to being about a year before Paul sent this letter to him. Um, but he would have just received this letter as he got in, in uh, power. Um, and after Paul died, he went on to serve as bishop of Ephesus for another 30 years. So I think we get a sense, we can infer there, that um, after Paul sent this letter to him, you know, Timothy did really obey that command from Paul to stay strong and show confidence in his public faith. And the second thing is that Timothy died in a way that I think is completely opposite to timidity. So according to a number of accounts, Timothy um, saw a, a pagan worship procession. So a bunch of people walking in the streets, worshiping a pagan god, uh, parading. Um, and he stood in the way of them, and he um, started preaching the gospel to them. And they beat him to death. Like, he was publicly martyred, effectively, for his obedience to Christ. So, again, this same Timothy, who we might know for his timidity, uh, went on to demonstrate really bold public devotion to God, um, both through his life's work and all the way until his death. You know, like, I feel like we can definitely say that Timothy continued Paul's gospel torch. And, you know, I'm not trying to say necessarily that these two events were a direct result of Paul's commitment to Timothy, but I think we can just imagine how much of an encouragement 
like Paul's commitment to Christ and his model of faithfulness in a friendship really were to Timothy in those moments of real difficulty. And I feel like this is the power of speaking God's words into people's lives. You know, it builds us up. You know, it draws us into deeper devotion and to, to want to be more devoted to God. Now, the fortunate thing for us is that Paul gives us a couple of um, helpful tips to applying this kind of teaching to our own lives. Um, and we saw that in verses 3 to 6. He uses a number of different metaphors. He talks about a farmer and a soldier and an athlete. Um, and I, again, I feel like they're all teaching ever so slightly different lessons. Um, but they're all joined again by the fact that they're rallying us to devotion in Christ. So if we look at the soldier first, um, reading from verse 3, uh, Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So I've been speaking for quite a while, um, and what I'd now love to do is actually give you all the opportunity to reflect. So I'm going to give you all 30 seconds, and I just want you to think about the language that's going on in these verses here. Just really reflect on them. And, you know, question, like, what is it about being a soldier that we would want to bring in our service to Christ? Or how does it change the way we view Christ if we think of him as a commanding officer? And perhaps what even are these civilian affairs we shouldn't get entangled in? So take 30 seconds either with yourself or chat to the person next to you um, and just really think about those questions. Okay, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, great. Well, if we had a bit more time, I would have loved to have heard some of your reflections. Um, but for time's sake, I'm going to move on. Um, but what I do want to say at this point is that the whole beauty of this like reflecting exercise is that you know we can all do this in our own time, in the way that we read the Bible. We can all really challenge the wording and really reflect on what Paul or whatever writer is trying to say to us. And so I want to say that if I don't necessarily say the thing that you were reflecting on, don't just instantly discount it or discredit it. Like, stay in that place and after this service or later this evening, keep praying and keep asking God for insight on that because he really might be drawing you into something worthwhile. Um, and so don't necessarily just chuck that away if I don't say it. So I feel like reflecting on this, the main point of this imagery is to recognize that if you follow Christ, you know, you've effectively made like an allegiance to him. You know, it's stark military language, isn't it? You know, it's like we're on the side of a battle here and Christ is this, on the leader of the side that we've picked. Um, and therefore, like a soldier, you know, we're choosing to follow him, even if we know suffering and difficulty and challenge will come. But what does Paul say? Remember in verse 1, he says, be strong in grace. And where is that grace found? It was found in Christ. So I think the encouragement for us is that if we're looking to serve Christ, even in those difficult and challenging moments, the right place for us to be is simply to be in Christ. It's to be following him. It's to be with him. You know, he's where our strength comes from. He's our commanding officer. And Paul says, you know, soldiers... They try to please their commanding officer. And I really love the humility behind that language because it's like, you know, Christ doesn't call us to necessarily be the best or the strongest or the most successful. 
You know, he just wants our hearts. You know, it's in all that we do, we just need to ask ourselves, are we doing it in a way that tries to please Christ? And remember here, you know, Paul is the one that's in prison. You know, he's writing this, and he has every right to almost put his foot off the pedal or ease off in his ministry. But he hasn't, you know. He's tried to continue his ministry. He's adapted it in his writing letters. Um, and he's continued to seek devotion towards Christ. And that is a huge challenge for us, you know, to become or be as devoted to Christ as, Timothy, uh, as Paul was. Um, but Paul is very clear in chapter 3, and we'll see in a couple weeks' time, uh, that, you know, persecution and challenge is part and parcel of the Christian life. You know, we can't just run away from that fact. Um, and, you know, please don't assume that just because I'm at the front, it means that I have that sorted, because I really don't. And I think it's a lifelong pursuit, which there are many people with more lived experience in here that would probably back that up. Um, but the encouragement we can take is that, you know, whatever place of suffering or difficulty we are in, it doesn't change the fact that we can be strong in grace, does it? You know, Paul even says, join with me in suffering. You know, he's inviting Timothy into the suffering. It's like for Paul, actually being in suffering is the optimal place to be, to be devoted. And so I think whether we're facing trials, or maybe whether we're good at something or not, again, we just need to ask ourselves that question. Like, are we doing it in a way that strives to please Christ? Because again, we're his soldiers, you know. He's our commanding officer. We need to have a sense of humility that it's his rule that we're obedient to. And that theme of obedience, you know, is echoed in verse 5 too. Paul writes, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So like athletes, you know, we've got to play by the rules. You know, we need to follow what Christ calls us to do to the T. And if, well, I want to say, and if we don't follow his command, then maybe we shouldn't be surprised if it feels unfruitful. And so if we go with that athlete analogy a bit further, you know, imagine someone like Usain Bolt running the 200 meters. And if you know the 200 meters, it's not like 200 straight meters. It's 100 meters around a bend and then 100 straight meters after that. And for a runner in this race like Usain Bolt, you know, you get disqualified if you stray from outside your lane. So if Usain Bolt or whoever in this analogy um, moves from their lane, then effectively all their training was meaningless. They can't receive the victor's crown because they've been disqualified. But as you go around that corner, you know, the inside lane does look kind of tempting. You know, it looks like a shorter distance. And they're all the same distance, but it looks closer, you know, to home. And so I feel like there's a, you know, there's a similar teaching to us there that, you know, we must also stay in our lane. You know, we can't just choose to take the shortcut uh, if the world's rules looks like it's going to be easier or simpler. You know, we have to be obedient and stay in our lane if we want to receive the victor's crown. But the amazing promise is that if we do obey Christ by his rules, then fruit really does come. You know, look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So earlier when I said, I kind of wrote off the passage when I first read it, um, there was something about this verse that I think I had the biggest bone to pick. 
You know, I don't know about you, but there's something about the way that it so bluntly follows the verse before that it almost just feels like someone's accidentally pasted a proverb in there or something. And, you know, I'm obviously joking, but there is something that reads a bit odd to it. And I was kind of reflecting on why that is. And maybe, maybe it's just me that feels like this, but I think it might be because I just sometimes forget that there's a genuine reward to all this. You know, Jesus calls us to a costly life of obedience, but we're not striving to toil in vain, are we? You know, he promises us reward. In John 10, he says, if we follow him, he'll give us life to the full. You know, he promises us eternal glory with him. And does anyone else find themselves forgetting this? Yeah, I think it's so essential that we hold fast to this as a truth. You know, Hebrews 6 talks about it being an anchor in times of trouble, God's hope. And it's not that we, you know, work hard in order to be rewarded. But I think it's just that we can have confidence that when we do work hard, you know, God sees us working hard. You know, even if the world doesn't see us trying to act justly or love mercy or walk humbly, you know, we know that God does see us trying to do that. Like, come on, does that not sound like a worthy course to devote ourselves to? So we're left now returning to verse 7. You know, Paul says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And I realize that coming to the end of this talk, I've kind of done exactly what I criticized Paul for and just given lots of quite scattered ideas. And I think and hope that you'll see, really, is that this kind of reflects the nature of what Paul's calling us to here. You know, he's saying to live with wholehearted devotion to Christ. You know, that's so all-encompassing. Like, we can't just summarize it into, you know, here's the one thing you do after this sermon, and you can tick the box, and we're obedient to Christ. You know, it's a lifelong pursuit of wanting to know and love him more deeply. And so what I'm going to do, really, is I'm just going to run through everything that we've kind of gone through, and then I'm just going to give everyone a minute to reflect on their own and discern maybe what God's speaking to them. And you may find that certain parts of the passage illuminate to you. You may find that there's a particular thing that God's putting on your heart to respond to in your own time. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave that with you, and there'll be an opportunity to pray for those things afterwards as well. So Paul calls each of us to remain devoted to Christ no matter what the cost is. And that means that, like soldiers, we remain devoted, even in hard times and suffering. And like farmers, you know, we work hard in our service. And like athletes, you know, we are obedient to Christ's rules. But we remember that our hard work is not in vain. You know, it comes with reward. And Paul also reminds us of two ways in which we can find support as we do that. You know, the first is those committed friendships. You know, for Paul and Timothy, that was a real space for them to be encouraged and challenged. And the same is true for us, that those friendships can be spaces where we point one another closer to God. And the second is that it's just the Bible, basically, you know, and it's reading it, being confident that God will speak to us. You know, it's reading it in a way that leans us to reflect deeply and yearn for God's insight having a hunger for what he's going to say to us. 
So uh, why don't we just stand for a moment? Um, and we're going to take a minute to be still before God. Um, so, yeah, say to God what's on your heart in this time, and we'll just take a moment to be still now.